0: Let's pray before we hear God's word. Lord, I uh, thank you that we are gathered here together to hear your word, to come to you, to receive grace and truth. And pray that you would give us understanding in our hearts to receive it and to honor you with our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are returning to uh, the Sermon on the Mount after a couple weeks away. We, uh, we had a couple weeks off for Reformation Sunday and Communion Sunday. Now we're back to the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we've been going through, we've been pointing out that Jesus is, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he, is, he, upholds, he calls his followers to follow God's law without hypocrisy. And uh, so today we are looking at Jesus' words on divorce. and. I come into this topic knowing that there's, there's probably not a family I could speak to that is not affected in some way by this. And also, look, Jesus' words are sharp. <laughs> and I cannot blunt those words. The best thing we can do is look at them, say, what do they mean? And where does, and then as we say, what do they mean? And how do we live by them? Where does God's grace and help come in? So that's what we're going to do. So Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we've said before, Jesus is, was correcting the errors of his day, the, uh, the, you have heard it said, statements of his day. And in this case, the Pharisees, they took the permission to divorce, found in the law of, of Moses, and they made it into a freedom to divorce and to remarry at will. And they thought that, hey, as long as the divorce is properly legal, no wrong has been done. And our society has similar such errors. We think there's parts of society that think marriage is not a good thing, that marriage enslaves women. There are men who will not marry because they fear losing everything in divorce. Society says that marriage is nothing more than a social arrangement, and so the covenant's not binding, the bond's not real, so it doesn't matter what you do. Or parts of society say, hey, this is your thing, no one gets to tell you what to do or divorce solves everything. Got problems, got struggles, divorce. All of these lies are corrected by God's word. Marriage is more than a social arrangement, uh, just so much beautifully more. And the bond of marriage is is a real thing that doesn't end with a divorce certificate. And let's look at Jesus' words. He says, if a man divorces his wife, He makes her commit adultery. And this this is assuming she remarries. So adultery is more than betrayal. It, It is breaking the marriage bond. And so Jesus is saying that the new union violates the bond of the old. So after the legal divorce, she's been put into a situation where she is committing adultery and the person marrying her commits adultery. That's Jesus' very words. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this says something about the nature of the marital bond. And Jesus, he explains this teaching in Matthew 19, verses three through nine. And we'll read it in full here. It says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Pause, which was one popular school of thought among the Jews that day. Verse four, Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you... Notice the change in words there. They said, oh, Moses commanded us. And Jesus said, no, no, Moses allowed you. Allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus, he appealed to God's design in Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So God designed humanity as male and female. God instituted marriage. That means it it has a design, it has a purpose, and it it has a nature. It, It is a certain sort of something, which means it's not other things. Therefore, We cannot abuse it without consequence. God made humanity, male and female, to reflect the image of God. So male reflects God's image, female reflects God's image, and male and female together reflect God's image, His attributes. So the institution of marriage reflects some of the attributes of God, what He is like. So we look at marriage, two distinct souls full, united, serving God in harmony, at least in the ideal. We we, we get this wrong in so many ways, but that's what the institution God presents. And that points to God, who is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one substance, one God in perfect harmony. So to, to rip apart the marital union is to violate something that reflects the sacred nature of God. Back to Matthew 19, verse 5, Jesus quotes then from Genesis 2.17. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's distinct things here that say something. They, there's a leaving. So they, they form a new family unit. The bond changes the identity of each into an us. And they hold fast. They, They bond to become inseparably one. The physical union consummates the covenant. They become one flesh. And God says that the only morally upright context for that union is between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant. And he declares everything else sin. And there's not one example outside of a marriage, outside of marriage in the Bible, that praises that so all the examples of the patriarchs and the kings with their many wives and many concubines are all examples of what goes wrong when we abuse this. So the physical union, it is meant for marriage. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about what God has joined. God has joined. And this is not part of a Genesis quote, so we must ask, well, is there another place in the Bible that talks about God joining husband and wife. And there is in Malachi 2, 14 through 15. Malachi 2, 14 through 15. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? So God made them one. When, in the marriage covenant, meaning public, mutual vows of lifelong faithfulness given before God and ratified by witnesses. And in that covenant, God makes them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union. Now, how that happens is a a mystery. You know, I don't, we're not told the inner workings, but God says he does it. And so it's real. So those in our, in our world who claim that the covenant is nothing more than a social arrangement are wrong. It says, by, by what is she your wife? By covenant. God makes them husband and wife in the covenant. And this covenant is binding for life. Romans 7 verse 2, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So the covenant is binding as long as both shall live. That's why we say it that way in the vows. Now the vows don't make it that way. We're acknowledging that this bond, that's the nature of the bond. That's why we say the covenant that way. And so it can't, the nature of the bond is that way. So we can't, this bond can't be ended without spiritual damage to the soul. Death is the only natural way to end the marital bond. And while death is deeply tragic, it is a more natural way for this to end because it doesn't violate the soul. So since it says it's God who joined them with a portion of the spirit in their union, the marriage bond, the bond between husband and wife, then it, it, it's, it's more than social, it's more than physical, there is a spiritual element to the bond. And there, and there is a scripture that speaks to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 15-18. The Apostle Paul, he talks about the one flesh union outside of the context of marriage. And he talks about both the physical and the spiritual. 15-18. through 18. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? <laughs> Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul Paul argued that, that since you are To Christians, since you are bound in the spirit with Christ, your body are members of his his members too. And what you do in the body affects your spirit. He does not separate our our bodily acts and our spiritual acts into purely one or the other. You are an embodied soul. And the, the one flesh union, therefore, it's, it's never just a physical or recreational action. It's a, it's a bonding act that bonds two people, body and soul. So the marriage bond is a, a spiritual and physical bond of the whole person. So when he says one flesh, one flesh refers to the whole person, all that you are. Back to Jesus' explanation in Matthew 19. Verse six, Jesus said, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus says very, very clearly, they are one flesh. God joined them together. So this bond, it is a sacred and precious thing that we should cherish and reverence. And therefore Jesus commands very, very sternly, let not man, meaning no person, no institution, no office of man. Man must not separate a marriage. And the Pharisees responded, as many people do, well, you know, who know these things, you know. So why did Moses give instructions for divorce if it's forbidden? Why would, why would Moses do that? Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart. So divorce happens because people refuse to repent, refuse to change their ways, they close their hearts to love, they refuse to put the other person first, many other tragic reasons. But they have to do with our hearts and our hardness. And he's saying, no, no, divorce was, divorce was never an option for Adam and Eve. (laughs) It was given later to contain the consequences of our sin to stop the spiral of, our, of the fallout of our sin against each other. And then Matthew 19, verse 9, he confirms what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10, 532. But he says it reverse, he applies it the other way. He says, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So in 532, he's talking about the wife and her remarrying and the bad situation, the husband put her in by forcing her into that situation, by divorcing her, sending her away. Now, in 19, he talks about the husband who has sent the wife away and says, yeah, you, you too, <laughs> husband who sent your wife away, you, you, if you remarry, you are committing adultery. So the bond... so. <laughs> The divorce certificate does not erase the marriage bond for husband and wife. and That's the inescapable conclusion of Jesus' words here. The the bond's a a real thing. It remains. And Jesus means that entering a new marriage bond is committing adultery with the first. You are designed for union with one person and breaking and reforging that bond will either rip you apart or harden you. And neither is healthy for your spirit. And Malachi, back to Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, speaks about this. It says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The person who tears apart Their marriage bond commits violence to their own soul. And this violence clings to their soul like a garment. Which I know many know this experience. Um, And Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 is an illustration of how this, that this bond is is, is real and, and ripped apart and cannot be just there, there's a spiritual bond, bond between the persons, that once torn apart, that that tear remains. We'll um, read it here, Deuteronomy 24:1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eye because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. So even when divorce was permitted for hardness of heart and our sins against each other, It was forbidden for a person on their second or third or whatever divorce to remarry their earlier spouse. the, the, The new marriage bond so violently tore apart the first marriage bond that is an abomination to restore the former. But this also means that the new marriage covenant is a real bond. Finally, then, what does Jesus mean by the clause, the exception clause, except on the grounds of sexual immorality? Well, he means that if one spouse has already committed adultery, then the other spouse is not forcing them into adultery by divorcing them. The bond has already been violated. So Jesus is not prescribing divorce in every case of adultery. He's teaching that if you would truly keep the law, do not commit adultery, then you will not break the marital bond. But if your spouse has already broken the bond, you do not break the commandment by divorcing them. Jesus upholds the sanctity of marriage, he upholds the sanctity of marriage without hypocrisy, and he calls us to the same. So where is the grace of God in this, Messiness of sin. Well, first, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Like every other sin, Jesus' death on the cross redeems you. If you turn to him as Savior and Lord, you confess your sins and seek his forgiveness, he will remove your sin, he will cleanse you, and he will save you. He will justify you. And as Psalm 23 says, he restores your soul. The healer and repairer of your soul is Jesus Christ, the Lord. So there, there's no damage to your soul that he cannot heal. He can take all your sins against each other, all the messy brokenness. He can transform your soul. He can redeem your past. For those who feel violated and spoiled, Jesus can make your soul pure. That doesn't mean that the trauma is erased, that trauma still takes time to heal. But you can fully embrace his word that who and what you are is clean and pure in Jesus. However, forgiveness is not licensed to sin. With forgiveness, Jesus always says, go and sin no more. So marital bonds are real bonds. Divorce and adultery cause real spiritual wounds. And just because God can restore does not mean he's going to stop the laws of creation. If you continue to sin, if you continue to sin, you will continue to to tear apart your soul and others' souls. So how should we live considering these truths? Respect the marriage covenant because the union is real and it is God who joins husband and wife. Sexual acts are physical and spiritual acts which unite husband and wife. So respect that and wait for that. If you haven't waited, Jesus can forgive that too and he can lead you and he will lead you to walk in new obedience. Divorce tears apart something real and should never be considered an option. Every effort should be made to reconcile. And one of the most remarkable stories about this that I know is, is from a sailor that I served with in the Navy it was my first ship my first year in the Navy and he was one of those sailors One of those people he's just excellent at everything he does in the Navy <laughs> Turns out that you know before I had met him His wife had divorced him because he had made the Navy too much of a priority over her And so they had separated but while they were separated they did not see others and through I don't know the whole process, but years later, a couple years later, they reconciled and they remarried. And it, it was remarkable to see, because this, this is then when I met them now, after they reconciled and remarried. And he's still excellent at everything, but he kept those boundaries. Of his own initiative, he, he kept those boundaries and said, no, I give this much to the Navy and no more, and he made her a priority. And then she... What was actually the more remarkable change because she was, she became like the biggest, like a cheerleader for the Navy and for a ship and for the ship, and she was the one who supported the young, the other young Navy wives, and she networked the families together, and she was just so supportive of it all. And I thought that this is remarkable. I mean, how do people who are, who were, who were so divided? that they said, that this is it, it's over, we're done. How could they reconcile so well that she now is, is cheerleader for the, the very thing that, was, that she hated and caused the divide, division? I mean, I call that a miracle of God. That's all you can call it. So I share this because if anyone listening on the internet or whatever, anyone out there is, is troubled in their marriage, Make every effort to reconcile because miracles are possible. And if you are divorced and remarried, stay in the marriage you are in and make it as God honoring as possible. Because, as we said before, the, no, the, the, the new marriage is a, is a new marriage bond, so stay faithful in the marriage you're in. That's the bottom line. And also, if you know a victim of divorce, show them grace. And Mercy because while while it is true that both spouses are sinners and both people contribute sin in many cases one is seeking the divorce one is adulterous or one is Abusive or or just unrepentant and then that's not always always the man or always the woman. It's you know It's sometimes it is un, the unrepentance is one-sided not always but always divorce causes Great pain and suffering. Each soul is torn apart. And we can show compassion for their suffering. We can show mercy and help for their needs without excusing or approving the divorce. And, and I'll say that, that from what I've seen, I know this is a congregation that does this, uh, that shows this mercy and grace. And so finally then, back to the very beginning, how do we answer the world? How do we answer the wrong thinking of the world? Well, so here's the first one I talked about. The world sees marriage as oppressive bondage, the man binding the woman so she can't leave. A direct quote, I love you so much that I want you legally bound so you can never leave me. And um, I don't know if, how many of you have ever seen the, the play Hamilton. Hamilton. Am I getting a hand anywhere? Has anyone seen Hamilton? Okay, I've seen a couple there. There's a point in the Hamilton where the King George sings to the people about his love for them and how he's going to show his love for them with his cannons and his ships and his armies by murdering them all. (laughs) And it's very, it's it's a farce, it's comical. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to love you. (laughs) I'm going to kill you with my love. And it's like, wow, that's such a caricature for this, caricature of marriage, I love you so much I want you legally bound so you can never leave me. But the biblical idea of marriage flips this reverse completely. It says, I love you so much that I will bind myself to you so that you know I will never forsake you. I I, I will go so I will make myself accountable to another authority to keep my commitment to you. So this commitment protects the other person, especially the wife, a man binding himself to never abandon her. And now the other objection, I had, this is the one I actually heard about here. They reported about a movement amongst, a, a online a, a group of men called Red Pill. And, and one of their things is that they, the men object to getting legally married because they feel that so many of our country's divorce laws destroy the man. They just, he loses everything, the kids, the house, all the finances, he loses everything. And so they say, well, I'm not risking all that. I'm not going to do it. I won't get legally married. So that's, that's another objection in our society. The other objection was that the contract's nothing. It's just social. We kind of addressed that earlier. So when we talk about these things, say, you know, bondage or risk of losing it all. But when we see marriage as God portrays it, as a, as a, a genuine, sacred bond, as a good and sacred thing that God made it, then all these objections fade because a bond of mutual faithfulness is not slavery. Now a bond characterized by mutual selfless love cannot be slavery. If both spouses understand and and believe that this is until death do us part, then then what fear is there of, of losing everything in a divorce? And if you're in a community that is teaching this as well, and you're, you're, you marry a person who understands this and believes this, you're part of a community that upholds this, then those fears are really much less. Marriage done God's way is, is a beautiful, sacred thing. And then there's no, I'm going to close with these verses from Ephesians 5 because they just show this beautiful image of marriage here. Ephesians 5, 25 through 31. Young men who, who exult in looking in the mirror at their muscles and be like, oh, yeah, I got this. Mm. I, <laughs> it's like, yes, young, you should, love, you should love your wives as you love your own bodies. <laughs> that, uh, that's what I, I picture there. Um, as, uh, verse 30, um, as their own bodies, verse 28. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Here's the key. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he's not saying Christ in the church is like marriage. He's saying marriage is like Christ in the church. Christ in the church is the higher, truer, more real thing that God already had in mind when he made marriage for mankind. So your marriage is a living testimony to Jesus' love for the church. Jesus is the one that loved us so much that he laid down his life to save us. Jesus came to serve us. Jesus died to give us life. Jesus was condemned so you could be sanctified, cleansed, and presented in holy splendor. Jesus gave up himself so that you could be joined to him and he could share with you every good thing that he has. He is faithful forever and his love is better than life. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us that that teaches us the truth, that shows us, that reveals to us the truth of these things. Um, And thank you for your word of grace, of salvation and forgiveness and restoration and redemption in Jesus that offers us renewal and redemption from all the ways we sin against your good creation. And pray that we would take these things to heart, that they would give us hope and encouragement and grace to live in these truths every day to look to you as our God and Savior. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.